0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports, streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
1: Here we go now.
0: Marco, his three-two pitch, strike three called. Got him with a fastball. Throws him and Marco Gonzalez. Really nice day in the sunshine here at T-Mobile Park. He has gone seven innings.
2: And allow just two runs to the Texas Rangers.
3: I've been told he's in the best shape of his life. We'll ask him if that's true. Marco Gonzalez, Mariners starter, joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Marco, how's it going?
2: Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on.
3: We're excited to have you on. We have talked to Shannon Dreher. We've talked with Ryan Divish, and both of them have told us, you know who looks great at camp right now? Marco. Uh, Marco, how are, <laughs> how are you feeling? We've heard you're you're looking great. You're feeling great. I mean, tell us a bit about your offseason.
2: Well, I, I paid those guys off to say that. So I that's, figure. I'm glad that uh, my payment went through. <laughs>
3: they really, really um, committed to the bit. You'd be happy.
2: Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've been feeling great. Um, you know, I just... Uh, I really took it upon myself this offseason to just, you know, make no excuses um, and make it an everyday thing and uh, and just get, get in the gym and, and see how good of a shape I can get in. Um, you know, I think th- with the point that we're at, um, we're hungry and last year was just a taste and, you know, we're, we're ready to just make this a yearly thing. So why not, you know, go full fledged and, and just uh, see what I can do.
1: Marco, what was that, that like during the offseason? Did you feel something in your body that you felt you needed to make a change? Did you rely on your trainers? What was that, that whole approach like this offseason to kind of uh, change your body to what it is now?
2: I mean, honestly, the biggest thing for me, the biggest motivator is my family. Um, we're, we're expecting another baby in April. And, um, you know, for, for me, I mean, time with my family offseason is precious. And uh, I was getting up, you know, 5, 6 a.m., um, before my daughter woke up and trying to get an hour lift in, and then spending time with her in the morning, making breakfast, and then come nap time, get another workout in, and go throw and do what I need to do, and just not waste any awake time with my daughter um, and my wife. And um, it just became a routine, a habit, you know. And um, I've always eaten really clean. My wife is a, a, a clinical nutritionist, getting her master's degree, and so she's a, she's a, as healthy as it gets in the kitchen. And so we just really tag team this thing and. Um, you know, I've just, I've just been busted by ass.
3: Did you, that's awesome. Did you go to her and say like, Hey, you know, babe, I've been thinking I'm a, i am I really want to lean into this or, or is it something you were always doing? Cause I'd imagine that if, if my spouse was like kind of into my job, but then suddenly was like, Hey, can you show me what to do? I would be so excited. Like, was it kind of <laughs> like that where she was like, I've been waiting for you to ask me this, Marco. <laughs>
2: I mean, I'm not too hard, difficult of a client for her. I mean, <laughs> I, I love being clean as well. I, I'd like to say I'm, I'm her best client. That's good. Um, but, no, I mean, we, uh, you know, I, I'm, every day I'm, I'm picking her brain and, and uh, trying to figure out what I can do to, to, to eat more clean, to, to just be healthy as a person. And we really leaned into that. So it, it was a good offseason.
1: Hey, man, we're hearing everybody's adding a pitch. You know, you and the rest of the guys, you guys all sit around and say, look, this is what I'm adding this year. What are you adding? And then how has that process been? What was the decision-making like? And, and what is it like to, to add a pitch and, and kind of add some to your game?
2: Yeah, um, for me this year, it, it's a slider. Um, it, it's, it's been a pitch that I've unintentionally thrown in the past, just tried to make my cutter a little bit bigger, um, a little more sweep to it. But this year, um i've given it its own its own time its own uh dedicated space and um you know tried to just add a little add a, add a different weapon to my arsenal um it's something i've toyed with in the past but um just being more intentional with it this year and um it feels like it's coming out great the the numbers behind it are are uh, are good and uh and it's it's different than the curveball or cutter so i'm um, gonna roll with that and, and see how it goes and um that's just part of being a part of this group you know the, the starters are really close in the team and um, I've been fortunate to help, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, foster this culture of, uh, of learning and growing and, and, and iron sharpens iron and all of that. And, um, we've just taken things from one another. I mean, we, we've learned, you know, George learned a sinker. Um, you know, Robbie had a sinker, uh, I, I've built a slider now, you know, with the help of these guys. And so, um, that doesn't happen without this group, um, and their support and, um, you know, some of the best in the world at what they do. I'm just fortunate enough to be a part of it.
3: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, what's it like behind the scenes? I know there are plenty of listeners that are curious about that part of it. Like, do you just go up and, like, yeah. hey, Pete, so I was thinking slider, or is there, is there like a conversation <laughs> that happens? Is there, I mean, there's, I, I have no concept, Marco, of what this looks yeah. like for you guys. Could you walk us through it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, so for me with a slider, um, just it, it was a matter of, you know, I know I can do it. I know I can yeah. do just about anything with a baseball. Um, but for me, you know, health is first and foremost. So making sure that I'm throwing it in a good position, making sure that, you know, my finger pressure is right. I don't want to hurt myself trying something new, um, or, or trying to complicate things when it's already working for me. So, um, you know, it was a conversation that I had, you know, with pitching coaches, but, um, my dad is also my, my, my pitching coach. Um, he, he was a triple A AAA coach at the Rockies. He, he was a left-handed pitcher back in the day. And, um, I got him in my corner too. So, um, you know, I have some pretty good minds that help me out. So it's been a, a group group project for sure.
1: What's the feedback like for a pitcher who's uh, making an adjustment in his game? You know, I've talked to uh, to batters and there's video and angles and all this stuff that and this data that they get. What's the type of data that, that you get during spring training, especially when you're making a change?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, making sure everything looks consistent. You know, you're not throwing a bunch of different random pitches up there. Everything has consistent shape, consistent velo, consistent spin um release you know all all these different things that they can give you um once that once you set that stage um it's really just about maintaining you know trying to optimize certain things um you're not trying to make overhaul adjustments at this point of the year you know that happens early in the off season and um you know for me simpler is better so for me if if you tell me one thing to work on um i know i can get it done so little adjustments at a time you know create big changes so uh, I'm a big believer in in just getting better each and every day, and and taking that into the bullpens, and then um, applying it into the into these spring training games where you know you can really get the work in.
3: Hey, let's get a, a vibe check just on the general outlook of this Mariners team, Marco. I mean, are the vibes immaculate? Sure. Are 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 they hungry? Are they good? I mean, <laughs> what, what what's the vibes? Uh, what are the vibes out there at spring training right now for you guys?
2: The vibes are positive. Um, Just really, really charismatic team. Um, We have such a good culture here. We're just building on it from, you know, I think the past two, three years, we've really built a really good foundation here. Um, And we're just adding to it, adding guys like Colton Wong, um, A.J. Pollock, um, you know, guys like that that have been around and and done it and want to buy into something special here. Um, That's the best thing to hear is these free agents that come here and they say, we've been wanting to join this team. We've seen what you guys have been doing. We want to be a part of it. This is this is where we see it, ourselves fitting, and to me, that's the biggest compliment that other teams are watching us saying, "I want to be a part of that." I see how you guys' culture is, and and that looks like fun. And and it's it's true, but we're we're hungry at the same time. You know, last year just wasn't enough. Um, it seems like it left left a bitter taste in all of our mouths, and and we're out for blood this year, out for redemption.
1: What's it like, um, the setting goals during the off season? You know, as athletes, you you sit down, you talk and thinking about what happened the past season, obviously you've transformed your body, you're getting ready for this season, but as a group do you guys sit down and and talk about goals? Is this the time to do it or do you wait until closer opening day?
2: Yeah, we'll have meetings throughout spring, you know, player plan meetings um, basically just how to optimize your individual, um, you know, what you want to do on the field and and how that applies how you can impact this team, make it better so, um, you know, we have meetings throughout we're in constant constant communication with our coaches and, and teammates about, you know Obviously, the, the ultimate goal is to bring home a trophy, right? So um, how do we do that, you know, day four of spring training? How, what do we need to do today that's going to get ourselves better and then we can impact the group around us? That's, that's kind of where we're at right now.
3: Marco, you didn't ask me, but I don't like being rushed when I don't want to be rushed. However, I do like <laughs> baseball's new rules. How are you feeling about the pitch clock situation?
2: I, I mean, for me, I feel unaffected by it. Okay. I, I tend to work quick as it is. Um, I'm one of the quickest guys on the team, and so... Um, for me, I won't look at the clock too much. I want to be aware of it. Um, you know, aware of where we're at. There is some strategy involved, especially guys on base. Um, it's an added dimension, especially for guys that can run. Um, so that's, that's, that's my, uh, that's my focus is just keeping guys close. Yeah. But I've always been a big believer in a quick tempo is, is, is better for a pitcher anyways. Um, I'm try- for my games, I'm trying to get us out of there in like two and a half hours because I know if I'm out there for longer then I'm not doing great. I'm not doing well. So, I need I need to make my job quick and uh so it shouldn't affect me too much and I know that uh other guys feel the same. Man, I love
1: just the the camaraderie of this of this ball club that you guys have. I would imagine that the slower guys that work on the mound, you guys got to give them some kind of flack, right? When they're getting about 13, 14 <laughs> seconds, you got to tell them, "Come on, speed it up, baby. What's that like?"
2: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's going to be some smack talking during the year, um, we're, and we're going to see it happen. Some guys are going to get dinged for a ball or a strike, and um, you know I think hitters are, are are going to be you know held accountable too. I mean, right. everyone's talking about pitchers, but uh, hitters got to be in the yeah. box at nine seconds, and I think that's going to be a, a big focal point for for everybody. You know, pitchers can work quick, but hitters got their batting gloves. They got to get their stance right. They got you know they're a little more particular sometimes. So, um, you know, that'll be something to watch out for.
3: Hey, we just had a listener text in and say, easy to predict Marco will be a skipper down the road. Marco, you're too young for us to be talking just yet about your life after the pros. You you still got a lot of baseball ahead of you, but is that something you'd ever want to do? I mean, have you thought about it at all?
2: You know, I'd love to coach my kids. Um, I I, I don't know what I want to do just yet after baseball. I, uh, my wife and I recently got into making our own wine and we've been really, uh, really, really excited about that. It's been a fun project away from baseball. Um, you know, I, I, I want to be in a place where I, I, don't, I don't have to have to do anything. I, I don't have to be on a schedule, and, and I want to work for myself, hopefully. Um, but I would love to, to be a mental strength coach and, and help guys out. Um, I've always been a big believer in, in giving back and um, doing what I can, and, and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of people help me out so I'd love to give that back someday.
3: I Just imagine, Bump, knowing a family where the wife is a nutritionist and the husband is a mental strength coach, and you're just like, man, how do I get free stuff from you guys? How do I get free training from you guys? This is great people yeah, to know yeah. here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Hey, um...
1: Tell me about some young arms. I mean, there are a lot of guys that you see out there who aren't going to be on the opening day roster who maybe have a few years before they get an opportunity. Is there somebody who uh, just impresses you with their approach, with their execution so far, any, any names?
2: Um, you know, I spent some time around Emerson Hancock. Um, he's one name that comes to mind. Um, just been around him. and um, I, First off, with me, it's about energy. It's about attitude, um, composure. And, uh, you know, early signs, he's, he seems like a great kid and, and really is hungry and, and wants to learn, um, is humble. And I think that's a good start for him. And, um, not to mention he's talented. So, you know, I think he's got a bright future ahead. And, um, you know, there's many other, there's many others in there. We're going to see a lot of George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert's coming through, I believe. So. Um, we're we're very talented, very deep farm system.
3: Hey, I wanted to talk about uh, Kirby and and Logan for for just one moment. What do you think the next step is for for either of those guys? You know them so well.
2: I think the next step is is, uh, is being a top tier arm in this league um, and believing in themselves. You know, they they both have the talent. They both have you know the ability. So um, for them, it's just taking it to the next level, um, making thirty plus starts a year, two hundred innings. Um, you know, staying healthy. Uh, you know, first and foremost, above everything. Those, those guys, um, they're young. They need to take care of their arms, their bodies. Um, so I have no doubt You know, those guys are hard workers, so they'll do great.
1: What have you seen out of uh, Teoscar Hernandez so far? We interviewed him. He seemed like a, a calm, focused guy, but he gave me the, the vibe that he fit right in with your culture over there and what you guys are trying to do.
2: Yes, yes. He, he's one of the guys that I spoke about, you know, really eager to join this team and been watching us, unfortunately was on the wrong end of a, of a loss, uh, last year. And, uh, and he's been really excited to be here and very calm, very collected. And, uh, I know from firsthand, he's a tough at bat, so uh, I'm excited to have him on our side.
3: Hey, just got a minute left here with you, Marco. And uh, we would be remiss if we did not ask you about your Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, sure. I mean, first of all, the season so far, what do you make of it? And also, wondering if you could chime in on a debate we were having about whether or not Gonzaga would ever join the Pac-12. Would you want Gonzaga wow. to? I know
2: well wow, yeah um i mean first off you know um a little bit underwhelming season um you know especially after being a number one last sure. year and it feels like every year we come in as the top dog and um you know maybe that's good for us maybe that's what we need maybe we need to come in at like an eight nine seed um and kind of work our way in march uh, maybe that'd be good um but as for the as far as the pac 12 i mean I, I would love it um i think the the school would be a great fit uh i know our for our baseball team um we we've been climbing the ranks mm-hmm. we've uh we've steadily become one of the, one of the best, uh, most improved uh, college programs in, in the country. So, um, you know, not just basketball, but we're, be on the lookout for that baseball team. They're pretty good, too.
3: Yeah, no kidding. All right, he is Marco Gonzalez, Mariner starter, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline from the Peoria Sports Complex. Marco, thanks so much for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks,
2: Marco. All right, it's a pleasure. Thank you.
3: All right, he is Marco Gonzalez, kind enough to join us. This hour of Bump and Stacey brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to four-down territory.
0: This is four-down territory. Going inside the game. What former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus First down
3: Packers running back Aaron Jones, likable guy, great player. Bump, why was him taking a pay cut a good idea for him?
1: First glance, you're gonna be like, "What the heck's going on?" That's
3: exactly what I thought.
1: Took a five million dollar pay cut from sixteen million to eleven million dollars. But why? His contract is gonna be <laughs> heavily based on um his uh, availability. All right, He's gonna make about fifty two thousand dollars for every game extra. Last year was around twenty three. He also has workout bonus. He's got active rocker bonus. There are some things that he's doing, but this is why it's a good move for him. He's near the end of his career, supposedly. Right? Seven years in the NFL as a running back. You're towards the end. None of that sixteen million million, uh, million dollars were guaranteed Right? So now he has $8.1 million guaranteed. You sign right here, you are going to get that. So now if the Packers do decide to draft another running back, they go younger. He's already got his bag. I think with Aaron Jones it was, look, I love it in Green Bay, and it's peace of mind. And I think he understands who he is and where he is in his career. And sometimes it's easier just to take a pay cut, get guaranteed money, and stay where you are, even if Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be there. I look at Aaron Jones and I say, He's just in his zone. He, he likes where he is. He's got his guaranteed money. So when you look at it on the surface, you say, man, 16 to 11, why would he do that? Guaranteed money. Yeah. All right. Sign here. You get that. And he likes Green Bay. So I think this is a very mature decision for Aaron Jones. And I applaud it.
3: I do. I, framing it that way makes a lot of sense because it's like maybe not everyone makes that decision when you're 24, 25. Right. Most people don't need to. Um, but uh But I think also he probably knows, like, I'm one of their best players. It's a win-win. I take guaranteed money now, and if I stick around and end up performing, then I still get that money. Yeah,
1: he's got a base of a million, can make some more with incentives, so he's good.
3: All right. Second down. The Seahawks made another signing a day after bringing back Phil Haynes. They're also bringing back Nick Ballore, special teams ace. Why is this a good move?
1: Now, you're going to look at Nick Ballore, and you might just gloss over him sometimes. Okay. He's a guy who's going to... Just because but he's true. not, he's not getting paid $18 million. Sure. He didn't have a... A, a viral clip that made you believe he jumped a 50-inch vertical.
3: Okay, I didn't believe it. I <laughs> thought that it was a possibility.
1: But here's what I meant. Here's the numbers when it comes to Nick Ballor. Alright, 352 snaps on special teams. 81% of the plays. He has over 3,000 snaps on special teams in his career. Only 9 snaps on defense last year, 1%. Mm-hmm. 17 snaps on offense, 2%. And you look at those numbers and you go, okay, why is this such an important signing? This signing, one, it gives stability to your special teams. Nick Ballore can go out there and coach every special teams that He's on, but he's one of the glue guys. He's a guy who's when you're walking down the hallway, you're having a bad day, he's going to tap you on the shoulder and say something to you. He'll recognize, okay, you're not in your zone right now. I've been in this league 11 years. You're not in the league 11 years on accident, especially in the role that he's playing, a role that is not glorified, a role that doesn't get a lot of love. You stick around because you do the dirty work, the little things, and you understand how this team works. Pete Carroll looks at a guy like Nick Valora and says, all right, we might not use him a lot on offense but on defense, but he's an extension of this coaching staff. He's a veteran. He's an elder statesman out there. You look at the numbers you're not going to be impressed. But you look at the little moments he has, and if you were able to get inside that locker room and see what he does there, I think that you'll add more value to who he is. I love keeping Nick Belor around.
3: Third down. I don't love this question, but it's an important one. What are some alarming numbers that indicate the slow decline of the Pac-12 and why a TV deal with maximum exposure needs to get done ASAP Rocky?
1: Man, it's tough ASAP Rocky. Big ups. Erianna, do you think? Yeah, that's right. Um, um, at first, I, it's all this. All started looking at defensive linemen going to the combine, and we know that on the the defensive side of the ball, the Pac-12 is uh, kind of behind a little bit. Yeah. And I'm looking at the SEC and how many defensive linemen they have going to the combine. They got like 13 and 15 guys going. Do you know how many defensive linemen for the Pac-12 are going to the combine? Two.
3: Two of those guys are going to
1: the combine. Now they make them different down south. I understand that, but you got to find a way to recruit these guys. How do you recruit them? You say, look, we got a big TV deal. Here's another stat for you. This is how the exposure and the decline of the Pac-12 has been evident. Okay, when we go by, the numbers of players who've been invited to the combine. All right, this year the Pac-12 has 30. That's the least out of all all power 5 conferences the acc has more
3: man after a pretty good year for the pac 12 too i don't get that that's
1: to me in 2021 they have 36 invited 2019 they have 39 1845 1747 and 1649 so every year they're going down and down mm-hmm. as far as numbers, and it just comes down to exposure. Yeah. right? These guys on the East Coast and the Midwest who are making a lot of these decisions aren't able to see these guys, but here's where it might get better for the conference. What they are doing, okay, they do have five of the top defensive linemen in the country, top 50 defensive linemen coming to the Pac-12. Oregon has two. Oregon State has one. SC has one, but they're leaving, so we'll call it four. Mm-hmm. All right, in this draft, they have two of the top five tight ends in this league. All right, you got... Uh, the kid out of Oregon State, you got Kunkade, the kid out of Utah. So now let's break down the numbers even more. The Pac-12 has five of the pa- of the top 10 QBs coming into the pack this year. So we're looking, offensively, we are good. But defensively, you need to step it up a little bit. How do you do that? You got to go into these kids' homes and say, look, you're going to play on national television. Everybody's going to see you. We got NIL deals going. I'm looking at these numbers, and it goes, look, we just had one of the best years in Pac-12 history over the past 10 years when it comes to um, guys being ranked or yeah. whatnot. But for some reason, kids aren't coming here. And I think it, it comes down to exposure. And these kids are more in tune with what's going on when it comes to media and social media now than ever before. These numbers are alarming. What's going to say this conference? Offensive weapons. And if you get a deal done, that provides exposure. But you need to go down south and get some of these big dudes. Yep. 14 dudes. Going to the combine and SEC alone, we got two of them things.
3: And you can rec- – th- that's the thing. is like you should be able to recruit to California, and I know technically you lost your two biggest schools there, but, like, you can recruit to the West Coast. You can. All right, fourth down. <laughs> NFL.com graded the NFC West rookie class. How are you feeling about it?
1: I'm feeling pretty good about it, honestly, Stace. You look at the Los Angeles Rams, they gave them a D- plus the rookie that played the most for them was Kyron Williams he played in 10 games didn't really do much but he got some exposure and they also have Russ yeast the safety he had 15 games they get a D plus look at the Arizona Cardinals they got a D plus okay you got uh, Christian Matthew who played 14 games for these guys as a corner and you also have MyJ Sanders Sanders was an all outside linebacker he got 13 13 games and then you go up to the San Francisco 49ers. They are the standard in this division. Like it or not, it is what it is. They got the B. But guess who got that A-minus grade? I'm going
3: Seattle. The
1: Seattle Seahawks. We got Charles Cross playing 17 games. We got Boya Mafé playing 17. Kenneth Walker, 15. Lucas, 16. Brian, 17. Ooh. Tariq, 17. Tariq Smith is the, uh, one of the few that didn't really get a lot of time. Him and Bo Melton, he's no longer with this team. And then Tariq Young even played in 13 games. We talked about building a team. This is how you start during the draft. The draft prior to this wasn't so great. The one before that, we did okay. So uh, they're moving in the right direction. So when I see the grade, I see the respect by NFL.com. All right, it makes me grin just a little bit, but it also makes me think, okay, you need another draft, but at least a B grade.
3: And we could see Smith more next year as well. I know John Schneider talked about him because he spent the season on IR, and I can't remember what he said, if he said something about him needing a procedure or when he could come back, but I'm curious to see him on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's bumping Stacey on Seattle Sports in the Seattle Sports app. Tariq, another Tariq. Tariq Wolin had a less than flattering description of the first time he ever saw Russell Wilson on the football field. This is mean, Tariq. Mean. But I'm going to play it anyways. That's next.
0: This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought you by one 800 dui away.
3: It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy. Reading you the top stories you're gonna see and hear about on your own timelines, which means there are things that are trending, things that are funny, and sometimes things you just need to know. Let's start with this one. Tariq Woland talked about what it was like seeing Russell Wilson on a football field for the very first time in person. I didn't think it was that nice. <laughs> I didn't think it was that nice. Here's what Tariq had to say.
1: Seeing him in person, it was pretty funny because, like, on TV and stuff, you see him, like, like from college and stuff, you're like, okay, he look in shape on TV. But you see him in person, it's, like, weird. He like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, he might be out of shape. <laughs> he just might be Sad out of shape. But the he crazy thing, he athletic. Yeah. Like, he he like, old, like, 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 but but yeah. he, he athletic and he a good player. But, like, literally, when I seen he him, good. I'm like, Dang, I ain't no he was built like the and yeah. he was short. You know, I'm, I'm tall anyway, but I was like, damn, he that was short. Was he like five eight, five nine? He he's, like five, nine. Five, eight.
3: he's not five nine. He's five ten. He is thick.
1: He's probably five nine and some change.
3: Five nine and some change. I'll say this. Um, he's not wrong. Russell Wilson a little uh can be curvy. Um however, <laughs> I can't hear Tariq Woolen talk about someone getting old who's in his thirties. I can't.
1: Yeah, he's older in fo- enjoy in your youth, okay? Years.
3: Here's what happens. Here's what happens, Tariq, is Russell Wilson has that metabolism of a 30-something-year-old, okay? It changes. You can't have the DK Metcalf diet anymore.
1: And to Russell's defense, he wears a ribcage as well. Mm-hmm. So that makes him look a bit more round than he really is. But, yeah, you see him in real life. He looks a little thick. My guy thick does, out there.
3: I will give you that he does look in real life like... This guy's a professional quarterback and not in the sense of, you know, he's small or skinny, but in the sense that you're like, it's always surprised me that for so much of his career, the first 10 years, essentially, he never landed on IR.
1: No, first he's game He's not he a big dude. He had a high ankle sprain and played the very next week. Yeah. This dude's a warrior. He doesn't
3: get enough credit for that. Like, I think people are quick to, for plenty of fair reasons, hate on Russ. But, like, that guy played through some nasty injuries.
1: Yeah, he did. He and really Tariq, did. you know, not everyone's seven feet tall, 165. Yeah,
3: Tari- <laughs> Tariq's out here talking, like, basically Giselle as a model being like, and then I saw her. She was so short. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tariq, keep it down. Um, so uh, we're going to get to some more of what uh, Tariq had to say uh, about Pete Carroll a bit later in the show because there's this really interesting conversation we're going to have at noon, where Marshawn Lynch, Brandon Marshall, uh, Lendale White talked about Pete Carroll on the I Am Athlete podcast, so you get to hear kind of like one version of Pete Carroll from Tariq Woolen, one version from players who have been through that system and are older now, and it's just this really fascinating conversation about coaching and what's effective coaching. We'll get to that at noon, but just keep in mind, we've got more Tariq Woolen coming your way. Next up in the timeline... (laughs) The Jets reportedly told Derek Carr that if he came to New York and won a Super Bowl, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Here's Diana Rossini. In
0: terms of what New York was trying to sell him, because let's face it, that's what they're doing at this point. They were pretty clear with them. They, they told him he's a great quarterback. They believe that he's got a legit surrounding cast of players. They went through the top D, the strong young skill guys, the explosive run game. They ran through top to bottom of why Derek Carr can step in here and take this team not just to the playoffs, but to the Super Bowl. And they made it really personal too. They said, we believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right? So they went full in on Derek Carr here to let him know <laughs> they really I want did. him to play for the New
3: York Jets. I'm going to say something that shouldn't be controversial, I don't think. Mm. But perhaps it is, given that this is in the timeline. I think that if Derek Carr went to the Jets and won a Super Bowl with the Jets, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: Nope, he would not.
3: The Jets have not won a championship since 1968. We're gonna you use... will have been the only quarterback nope, to take nope, them nope, to nope. a Super Bowl. Curtis, you would have been the only quarterback to take them to a Super Bowl. Bump, you pointed this out the other day when you were doing your kind of free agent profile on Derek Carr that he's always sneaky in the top five with passing yards. Like, he is not a bad quarterback. He's a good quarterback on a team that's really been struggling for a few years. There have been there are worse quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame than Derek Carr.
0: He's never been a Pro Bowler, or he's never been an All-Pro. He's been an, a pro bowler a couple of times. You think this year was a Has an every single Hall of Fame
3: quarterback been a first-team All-Pro?
0: No, but Derek Carr is not even... like If Eli Manning doesn't get in, then Derek Carr doesn't get in.
3: Bump.
1: If Phillip Rivers doesn't get in, Derek Bump. Carr doesn't get in. Bump. All right. So I heard this, and my first reaction was, you're crazy. What are you thinking, Derek Carr? But then I go and I look at numbers. Now... The creme de la creme, right? The standard right now is Peyton Manning. And it's, it's ridiculous to try to compare him to Peyton Manning. 71,000 yards, 96.5 completion rate, 65% com, uh, career completion rate. But then I go, all right, let's 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 lower the bar just a little bit because we're not going to see too many Peyton Mannings, too many Drew Breeses, too many um, Tom Brady's. <clears throat> and then I, I just go and look at some of the, the notable older names that were mm-hmm. first battle Hall of Famers. Got Warren Moon. 49,000 yards, nine-time Pro Bowler. Steve Young, 33,000 yards, seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. Dan Marino, 61,000 yards, nine-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. Jim Kelly, just random, 35,000 yards, five-time All-Pro, one-time Pro Bowler. As of now, Derek Carr has 35,000 yards to his name. He's, got, he's a four-time Pro Bowler, has a completion percentage of 64. He's only thrown about 217 touchdowns. For him to even be considered a first-ballot Hall of Famer, he needs to get around 50,000 yards. He needs to get an all-pro in there, and he needs to win a Super Bowl. If he were to do that, I don't think he'd be a first ballot Hall Hall of Famer, but people are going to vote for him for sure. That's what I'm
3: saying. Derek Carr going to the Jets. I'm also assuming that if Derek Carr goes to the Jets and takes them to a Super Bowl, that it will be on the back of a great season from Derek Carr. Right? Yeah. Like we've seen teams go to a and Super defense. Bowl. Like you can't go to a Super Bowl, have a bad quarterback, and win a Super Bowl. You can say what you will about Dilfer, who was playing behind, like, finally I watched that 30 for 30, by the way, who was Thank playing you. behind like the best modern defense ever. ever. Uh, and then you had Nick Foles, who played for a couple games, didn't play the full season, bare Down, had a had a great Super Bowl game. but like
0: Yeah, played out of his mind. But
3: this idea that you can just have whoever a quarterback, no, your quarterback's got to be good. I am assuming that if Derek Carr's taking them there, it will be because he's great.
0: But so, let's use a similar measuring stick here if we're going to use the Derek Carr as a Hall of Famer if he wins a Super Bowl. Is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer? He's got a Super Bowl. Yeah. I think they have similar careers. I don't I think, think he think is. Matthew I don't think Staff- he's going be a first ballot. Think, I don't think in. Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer, and I don't think Derek Carr's a Hall of Famer. Okay, but Because what? you got to adjust for era. Okay. You have to adjust for era. You cannot measure somebody now against a quarterback in the 60s because the game is completely different. Okay,
3: but how much more credit is Derek Carr going to get than Matthew Stafford for taking the Jets to the Super Bowl when They'll the Jets the haven't same. been there? I think that he would get more credit for taking the Jets to the Super Bowl, and important to note, where are the Jets, Curtis? They're
0: in New Jersey is where but they're But Curtis. At. Yeah, they're on the East Coast. Exactly. I get it. But... The Jets are a quarterback away, and I don't think that you could put any quarterback in there, and they any quarterback that's better than Zach Wilson, and they're probably making the playoffs. Like, if Geno Smith wins a Super Bowl, are we going to put him in the Hall of Fame, too? Not every Derek Super Bowl Hart's winning stats are Matthew than-
1: Stafford has 52,000 yards. By the time he's done, he's going to be in the 60s. He'll have more than Ryan Marino. Rodgers is still playing to have more than Eli Manning. Matthew Stafford is in, in my opinion. He's got a Super Bowl. He's played with the best. He endured for two years. But he's playing in an
0: era where offense has exploded. It doesn't matter. He's still top 10. It does matter, though. He'll be top 10. If he's not even a top 10 quarterback of his own era, why are we putting him in the Hall of Fame? He's in.
3: But
1: if you win a Super Bowl as a quarterback and you are top ten as far as passing yards, you are automatically going to get votes. And as time goes by, people don't say, well, he played in twenty or twenty ten through the twenty. That era was garbage. you are gonna be like, no, he's won a Super Bowl, he's in the top ten, he's been on the ballot two or three times. He's gonna get in. And
3: much like Derek Carr, I am not exactly comparing the two because no, I think no, Matthew Stafford is, is I think I think Matthew Stafford's better than Carr, but Curtis. Much like the two of them, Matthew Stafford also spent most of those years on a bad team with a bad franchise that was bad from the top down and it was not his fault. So if we're going to look at like, oh, it's a modern era and there's offensive explosion. Well, how much of those great offenses are also with great coordinators, great coaches, great weapons? Matthew Stafford was doing that without those things. He had a Hall of Fame receiver and then a team that just was trash.
0: Yeah, and look, if you're going to open the Hall of Fame to quarterbacks that have simply just won Super Bowls and accumulated numbers, then you're going to bring in a lot of guys who probably would not be in, in any Hall, other era. Isn't that what but the Hall of Fame numbers. is?
1: Winning Super Bowls and
0: accumulating numbers? That's the Hall of Fame. Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr didn't do anything before, like, at all. Then
3: what's the what's the basement for Hall of Fame?
0: The basement for Hall of Fame? I think you draw the line of, like, Eli Manning, if he ever gets in, winning two Super Bowls, by the way. And there's still not consensus that he'll you, ever get in.
1: Who are you taking, Eli Manning or Matthew Stafford?
0: I'm taking Eli Manning in this in the Hall of Fame. Are you no, kidding me? No, it's no, not even no, 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 no,
1: no, no. I'm talking about you're building your team right now. You're taking Eli Manning over Matthew Stafford? I mean, Eli Manning's, like, 40 years old now out of the league. I'm talking about in their prime. Yeah. T- Taking Eli Eli. Eli. because he
0: got to the he got the Giants to the playoffs all the time. How do you get the defense? The defense got him to the who was the Super Bowl MVP in both games? It's It's always going to be the the quarterback. It's always the quarterback.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love this conversation. You guys, can we choose? Do you want to continue this? Do you want to talk uh, Pac twelve?
1: No. Can we agree that Derek Derek is a stretch? Fine. Yes. I was being devil's
3: advocate. (laughs) Um, let's talk Pac twelve. Everyone cool with that? Good with it. I like Pac-12. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the Pac-12 getting into potentially a new streaming service here. And then we've got some great sound about Pete Carroll from Brandon Marshall's I Am Athlete podcast. It's all coming your way next.
0: Bump Stacy
3: powered through the Alaska Airlines studios
0: on Seattle sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You
3: are listening to bump and Stacy. We're moving our conversation here from the timeline to college sports. Um, according to, well, there are a couple different sources here. Um, I should have used the Oregonian right now. I have the post open, but, uh, PAC 12 commissioner, George Klyovkov could present Apple as a possibility to school soon for streaming PAC 12 games. Um, Uh, Pac-12 spokesperson and Apple spokesperson uh, declined to comment for this story, but... We do know that Apple TV is branched into sports. They started streaming live baseball games on Friday nights last season. And we also know from multiple reports that the Pac-12 could be looking at streaming options for its games. Um, people thought maybe that would be Amazon, but maybe Amazon doesn't want to give the Pac-12 the money, the Pac-12 thinks it it deserves. And Amazon could also be looking at branching off into other leagues that they're more focused on, like NBA, for instance. So the Pac uh, the Pac-12 may only have Apple Plus as its final remaining source for streaming service. How are we feeling about it?
1: That's all we got. We have we're all out of option options. ESPN gone, Turner gone, CBS, NBC not rocking with us. All we have is the. Uh, what am I? Uh, Apple TV, Apple,
3: excuse me. Apple, is it Apple Plus or Apple TV? Apple,
1: whatever. Apple. All we
0: got Curtis, is Apple. I'm making
3: myself sound even older than I already am.
0: Yeah, and I know the correct answer, and I'm, I'm not going to give it to Why you. Why are you still be salty? salty because
3: evil. all I said was Derek Carr. No, it's not that at all. He's a nice all. young man.
1: It's not that at all. I just like making you feel old.
3: Thanks, Curtis. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, all, all we have is Apple right now. And uh, like you mentioned, they've done baseball already. They signed a deal with the MLS, $2.5 billion over 10 years. And beggars can't be choosers at this point. And there's a way, like if, if you market anything the right way, I and mean, then you tap into a demographic that you feel are going to invest and watch, then there's a way for this to be successful. But the thing is, we haven't seen success from uh, this conference in ten to twelve years when it comes to to TV rights and exposure and getting all these kids um out in front of people. So that's the thing that makes you hesitant to to buy in and believe, especially because when you don't have any other options. So when you don't have options, Apple TV has all the leverage in this situation. What else are you going to do if you do not get a deal done with Apple TV?
3: Genuine question. I don't know if any of us have the answer to it, but the genuine question I am left with, because I don't hate uh, Apple Plus is like a streaming option or streaming service, and I actually prefer streaming for this because it's easy for me to access, but I understand the issues that you get with overall exposure. You would have more people and more places around the country seeing your games with – More peak and primetime hours on ESPN or ABC or CBS or whatever. So I understand that that would be the preferred method. But are we looking at the Pac-12 going to Apple Plus potentially as being something that is the only thing that was left on the table when George Klyovkov inherited a conference that was in trouble? or as something that the Pac12 since Klyovkov took over has now done to itself too. Like how I guess what I'm saying is has there been in your guys' opinion additional failure on the part of Klyovkov and the conference for securing a media rights partner? It
1: is hard for me to put it all on him because he inherited uh, just a a horrible situation. Has he been perfect? I can't I can't say that he has, but I also know that there are things that he's dealing with that is we just don't know about and there's negotiations, there are contracts in place. Like, there's so many things that he's dealing with that it's hard to say this is all on him. Have they missed opportunities since he's been the commissioner? Most definitely. Or you're not having the right conversations with the right peoples and you're missing out. So, yeah, he, he's got to own some of it. But it's also, he was behind the eight ball when he got the job and was trying to put out so many, mm-hmm. so many other fires at the same time.
3: Uh, someone said, wow, that's so sad. The Pac-12 can't even get a contract with a cable company. Literally only about 10% of fans will be able to watch the games, seeing as how 90% of people don't have an Apple TV subscription. Apple TV subscriptions are affordable, Far more affordable than Much. cable. It's like, isn't it? Like four ninety nine or five ninety nine for a subscription to watch it. I mean, compared to cable, that's more affordable. But you also have to have a smart TV uh, or uh, a little Apple um, like TV thing. So six
0: ninety nine a month after six ninety nine a, free a month. seven day trial.
3: So again, like this is accessible in that in its affordability. It is limiting to people who don't stream and aren't quite sure how to utilize streaming services or access them it is limiting to people who just have absolutely no interest in subscribing to it and it's really just kind of a bummer for a conference that uh all of us including taylor back there like all all four of us went to pac-12 schools and uh and would love to see this conference uh come back alive it's also such a bummer after what was a pretty good year for the conference
1: yeah and here's the thing too i've read that They experts are predicting within the next three to five years, everything is going to be streamed anyway. So if you're trying to find a positive, there's a way for the Pac-12 to get ahead of the curve and say, all right, look, we're going with a streaming service. Everyone's going to go that route eventually. Maybe we can be the first to really tap into it. In the moment, you just realize how difficult it is, how I can't just um, turn on Hulu and and go to my channels and bam, I'm watching a football Mm -hmm. game. So maybe that's part of the strategy as well. Well, I don't think it's part of the strategy. I think that's just how that's how they have that's to look a, at it. A because a bummer.
3: It's like, that's just what's left.
1: This this is what you have. So if there's any positive to come from this situation, then I am hoping and I am praying that Klyovkov looks like a genius in this situation three to five years from now because that's where we're headed.
3: Yeah. Hopefully that's what ends up happening. Uh, all right. We are going to be taking a look around the NFL coming up later in the show. Um, We are uh, first, though, going to get to the I Am Athlete podcast. You guys don't have to have listened to this episode. We have some sound for you about some of our favorite moments. But uh, a couple days ago, Brandon Marshall had Marshawn Lynch um, and Lendale White on. They talked about a ton of stuff, but uh, key, they talked about Super Bowl forty nine and importantly, just Pete Carroll's coaching. And how, you know, Pete Carroll's messaging has gotten stale for a couple guys, but also what works about it. It's just this really, really fascinating conversation about what makes a good coach and whether or not what makes a good coach is more complicated than we think. That's coming up next.